Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Rickia, and this is episode number 233 of the podcast. It's the 7th of July, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, I'm sharing part two of the audiobook edition of my book, The Unschooling Journey, A Field Guide. Inspired by Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey framework, The Unschooling Journey is a weave of myths, contemporary stories, and tales from my journey. It's not a how-to book. No two paths through the world of unschooling have the same twists and turns. Yet having a general sense of where you are on your journey can bring valuable insight as you navigate the challenges that will inevitably appear. I share this book as a field guide to the stages and characters you are likely to encounter in some form on your unschooling journey. So last week, we dove into the introduction and the first two stages, answering the call to unschooling and refusing the call. So in the intro, we set the stage. Choosing to accept this quest to create a thriving unschooling learning environment for your children is to embark on your own hero's journey to appreciate, understand, and in the end, integrate these unschooling truths that learning is everywhere and that humans are wired to learn into your lives. I also touched on why I chose to call this a field guide and the value of having a general sense of where you are on the journey being careful not to see the stages as tick boxes to race through, and the difference between understanding a stage intellectually and experiencing it enough times to believe its truth. In stage one, the call to unschooling, we begin in our ordinary world. Often, we're reasonably comfortable with how things are. We know the general rules and expectations and, for the most part, are happy to go with the flow. And then something happens, something that gives us a glimpse of a new and previously unsuspected world, the world of unschooling. This is our call. Often, this call is delivered by a herald, whether it be a person or an event. The fascinating thing is, when the hero is ready, the herald appears. And that's because the change that sparks the call happens within us. And in stage two, refusing the call, the realization hits us that choosing to answer the call to unschooling isn't a simple question of yes or no and moving on. Those first weeks, even months, can feel like a seesaw. One day we're gleeful and thrilled by the possibilities, and the next fear looms large and we waver in our resolve. This is such a common aspect of the journey that it has its own stage. Contemplating refusing the call shows that we are starting to understand the commitment involved in choosing to undertake the journey. If you want to develop a thriving unschooling environment for your family, be sure to take the journey. Don't look for a shortcut. Engage with your questions as they arise, rather than pushing them away because they don't fit a preconceived idea you have about unschooling. Now, this doesn't mean you need to understand everything about unschooling before getting started. It does mean that choosing unschooling with your family is the beginning of the journey, not the end. 
And here we are. So this week, we're diving into stages three, four, and five, finishing up the first phase of our journey, choosing unschooling. We're going to be finding our guides, matching wits with threshold guardians, and spending some introspective and valuable time in the belly of the whale. It's going to be a wild ride. And for listeners who prefer interview-style episodes, this week I've selected episode 57, 10 Questions with Akila S. Richards, to share with you, which aired in February of 2017. Akila is an unschooling mom with two lovely daughters. She's also an author, a podcast host, and is on the organizing team of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. She answers my 10 questions about her unschooling experience with candor and enthusiasm, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. You'll find the link to her episode in the show notes, or just search for episode 57 in your favorite podcast app. As a personal update, this week I've been having a lot of fun talking about the Unschooling Journey book in the new book chat group we created in the Living Joyfully Network. Members have been sharing stories of their calls to unschooling and experiences with refusing the call. They are such rich and thoughtful conversations. And the book chat group is free for members of the network. Our theme this month is self-care, and right now we're looking through the lens of self-awareness and the stories we tell ourselves. You can check out the network and join us at explorers.livingjoyfully.ca. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And before we go, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. It means so much to me. Not only does it let me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, your generous support allows me to spend time creating episodes each week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And I'll be sending out this month's inspirational desktop wallpaper this week. Now, let's dive into part two of my book, The Unschooling Journey, A Field Guide. Stage three, finding our guides. The way through our fears is connecting with our children. You've chosen to accept the call and embark on your unschooling adventure. At this point, your thoughts naturally turn to the road ahead. Fueled with anticipation, you are more than ready to take your first steps. Sometimes, however, the questions and fears swirling through our minds threaten to overwhelm us. How will I stay on the right path? Will there be clear signposts to guide me? What if I need help? And as with many tales, when we begin our journey in earnest, a guide appears. Mythologically speaking, guides tend to be elderly. Think Dumbledore and Obi-Wan Kenobi. But in a fun unschooling twist, I discovered the most important guides on my unschooling journey were my children. The similarities between mentors and children as guides are interesting. Where elder guides have taken their hero's journey, traveling physically or spiritually, beyond the ordinary world and returning to share their hard-earned wisdom, young children have yet to be acculturated. 
they still hold an open and curious view of the world, not yet having absorbed the messages meant to keep them safely in the metaphorical box of conventions. John Holt describes the value of children as guides beautifully in his book, Escape from Childhood. Children tend to be, among other things, healthy, energetic, quick, vital, vivacious, enthusiastic, resourceful, intelligent, intense, passionate, hopeful, trustful, and forgiving. They get very angry, but do not, like us, bear grudges for long. Above all, they have a great capacity for delight, joy, and sorrow. But we should not think of these qualities or virtues as, quote, childish, the exclusive property of children. They are human qualities. We are wise to value them in people of all ages. When we think of these qualities as childish, belonging only to children, we invalidate them. We make them seem things we should, quote, outgrow as we grow older. Thus, we excuse ourselves for carelessly losing what we should have done our best to keep. In my experience, a good portion of our unschooling journey is about excavating these long-buried traits, these human qualities, so we can once again enthusiastically engage with our lives. We rediscover our great capacity for delight, joy, and sorrow. That said, let's talk about the idea of guide for a minute. There's a pretty common misconception that unschooling parents are following their children around to agreeing to their every whim. That's not what I mean by guides. Guides are not directors. Unschooling parents don't turn off their critical thinking skills, nor do they ignore their hard-won life experience. No elder mentor asks that of their protege either. Yet, To develop the connected and trusting relationships with our children that allow unschooling to thrive, we don't treat them as the second-class citizens of the family. Their needs and wishes are as important as our own. Our children aren't expected to fit into our lives. We weave a new life together, one that genuinely considers the needs and wishes of everyone in the family, regardless of age. We'll dive much deeper into this shift in the de-schooling phase of our journey. For now, it's enough to recognize that our children are shining examples of life outside our ordinary world, and they have helpful information to share with us. Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Emperor's New Clothes, first published in 1837, gives us a great example of a child as a guide. There once was an emperor who was so fond of new clothes that he spent all of his time and money on being well-dressed. One day, two swindlers came to the great city in which he lived and let it be known that they were weavers who could weave the most magnificent fabrics. And not only were their fabrics uncommonly fine, they explained, but they also had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office or who was unusually stupid. Word of this flowed through the city. The emperor paid them a large sum of money to start work for him at once. As the swindlers pretended to weave beautiful fabrics, trusted officials working for the emperor visited to check on their progress. Imagine their surprise when they saw nothing on the looms. But determined not to let anyone think them fools, they praised the beautiful colors and patterns. When the emperor arrived to see the splendid cloth, he was shocked to realize he couldn't see the material. 
But to avoid being declared unfit, he too sung his praises at the empty loom. Nothing could make him say that he couldn't see anything. At last, the swindlers declared the emperor's new clothes were ready, and he arrived to be dressed. They made a big show of pretending to put the new garments on him, and the emperor and his noblemen all spoke highly of the magnificent outfit. When it came time to leave, the nobleman pretended to lift his train and hold it high, none daring to admit they had nothing to hold. The emperor's procession got underway, and everyone in the streets and windows spoke of how fine his new clothes were. Nobody would confess that they couldn't see anything for fear of being declared a fool. The emperor's new outfit was a complete success. Then, in the crowd, a little child said, but he hasn't got anything on. One by one, people repeated in hushed tones what the child had said until the whole town cried, but he hasn't got anything on. The emperor suspected they were right, but decided to walk on more proudly than ever. It took a child, not yet caught up in the cycle of judgment and shame of the emperor's world, to speak the truth. Only once word began to spread did the adults find the safety in numbers they needed to say the truth out loud. This isn't a recent phenomenon either. I find it fascinating that Anderson was inspired by a similar story written by Don Juan Manuel and published hundreds of years earlier in 1337 in a collection of stories titled Count Lucanor. The story of the emperor's new clothes reminds us to listen to what our children have to say. Yes, they have less experience, but their perspective is less clouded as well. They often see things that we've discounted even before consciously considering them. On my unschooling journey, I soon came to appreciate my children's refreshing perspective. Throughout this book, we'll be walking together through many of the fears that are likely to show up for you at various points on your journey. For now, I thought I'd share an example of how our children can be wonderful guides to help us move through them. Sometimes, my children became deeply engaged with a single interest for a long time. I began to worry. Were they closing themselves off, learning little about the world at large? Looking back, I could discern the pattern. One of them was super engaged with an interest over an extended period, and I was getting bored with it. I became less enthusiastic, which meant our conversations became shorter and shorter until eventually, without my conscious realization, they pretty much stopped coming to share their new discoveries and insights. I figured I knew everything about the interests, so I stopped going to them to learn more. We drifted apart. It was in those disconnected times that worry began to take root. With such an air of focus, were they missing out on other great opportunities? Were they learning enough? The first few times it happened, stressful days and sometimes weeks followed. I'd get stuck in my head, which led to even more disconnection and misunderstandings, fertilizing my growing worry. It became a downward spiral, and eventually I'd end up asking myself why we started unschooling in the first place. Was this working? I wanted to show them the world, and they only seemed interested in a small pond. As I struggled with that question, I'd start imagining what days would look like if they went to school. 
and it was then that I'd finally look at my kids again. At first, I would imagine how much bigger their lives would be when they had to go to school and do other things. Then I'd see them playing. They threw their whole hearts into it. I'd see them helping each other out. I'd see them persevere through a challenge. I'd notice how much progress they'd made in their video games since I'd pulled away. Or see their much improved cartwheel. When they saw me more available in mind, not just in body, they chatted with me more and I heard shiny new words in their vocabulary. They asked me to play a new game or watch a new show or go for a hike. Days were fresh again. Soon, I was actively engaged with them, and I saw their joy and their learning and their enthusiasm. They brought me back to what I already knew. After a few of these cycles, I learned to recognize those worried thoughts more quickly when they started up. They are insidious. They often start to grow and fill us with an ease before we figure out what's happening. And rather than withdrawing into myself, I used them as a clue that it was time to stop ruminating and engage even more actively with my kids, my guides, to more clearly see them, their play, their choices, their actions, their words, their emotions, even better to shift directly into the moment and be with them, to sink into their play and absorb their joy and laughter. And later, I would reflect. I would tease out the threads that wove through those moments. Those threads represent how our children see their lives and how they are putting the pieces of the world together. They're learning. Just when I thought they weren't learning anything new, there it was. It was there all along, if only I had stayed engaged and connected enough with my kids to see it. The fear vanished. And every time that cycle happened, I built more trust in my children and in the process of unschooling. Seeking guidance through observing and connecting with our children is helpful at all times, not just the challenging ones. It can be tempting to take advantage of times when things are going relatively smoothly to focus more on our own tasks. But in fact, this is a delightful time to check in, listen, and enjoy their presence. And as you get in the habit of checking in with your children, you'll notice that sometimes when you thought things were going well, their actions or words seem to suggest otherwise. Be careful not to discount those messages just because you don't want to hear them. Your guides are warning you of real challenges to come if things stay as they are. Experienced unschoolers have discovered that subtle clues often show up before things get messy. It's better not to ignore them. Another interesting tidbit, often the traits in our children that irk us turn out to be the precise ones that make them such excellent guides on our journey. Our children challenge us in the areas where we still have a lot to learn. We're bothered by certain things because we haven't yet taken the time and effort to dig into them. If we had, we'd better understand our child's perspective and their behavior or choice probably wouldn't bother us even half as much. And finally, if you're getting started on your unschooling journey and your children are just leaving school or curriculum-based homeschooling, they may have absorbed some conventional messages about learning. They may be tempted to agree that the emperor's new clothes look rather splendid. For now, 
Remember how free and happy they were during their last summer vacation, immersed in things they were interested in, engaged in learning like wildfire. That child is your guide. Or, if your child seems to be a shadow of their former self, remember their engagement and joy with life before they went to school. Soon enough, on their timetable, not yours, they will rediscover their curiosity about the world around them, their love for games or Lego or stories. As they immerse themselves in fun, their love for learning will eventually reignite. They won't shy away from it. It's not important that they be able to name it, but that they are able to live it. This focus on our children is not meant to discount the guidance we receive from more experienced mentors. The information and counsel offered by experienced unschoolers, both in person and online or in this book, can be invaluable on the journey. But in the end, this is your family's journey. So it's natural that your children are the most intimately involved. Not only are our children at the root of our motivation, the reason we began this journey to unschooling in the first place, but they are our most helpful guides when we feel we're losing our way. They are active participants in our days, mirroring our personal situation back to us to ponder. And in the darkness, they are beacons of joy that are right in front of us. Looking back, this shift to seeing my children as worthy guides on this journey was so valuable. When questions arose and fear-based what-ifs began to swirl and surreptitiously pull me into myself, re-engaging and reconnecting with my children was invariably the best way to pull myself out of that downward spiral and regain my open, curious, and joyful mindset. Our children will let us know if this is working well. Watch, listen, embrace life alongside them. That way, you won't miss the clues. Not for long, anyway. Stage 4. Crossing the Threshold to Unschooling Matching Wits with the Threshold Guardians With your children by your side to guide you, you may now be ready to publicly declare your choice to step away from the conventional education system. You certainly don't need to shout it from the rooftops, but the people in your life will soon notice that your children aren't going to school. In many myths, the hero, that's you, encounters one or more threshold guardians as they cross into the mysterious new world of their story. These guardians are often gatekeepers, like Cerberus, the three-headed dog of Greek mythology who stood guard at the entrance to the underworld. Some managed to make it past. Orpheus, a great musician, played his lyre so beautifully that he put Cerberus to sleep and entered the underworld in an attempt to bring back his wife, Eurydice. Heracles, a.k.a. Hercules, twelfth and final labor was to bring Cerberus to Eurystheus, the king of Mycenae. Interestingly, looking back, I recalled being challenged in three different ways as I attempted to cross the threshold into the world of unschooling. How fitting to envision each as one of Cerberus's three heads. This stage is all about figuring out how to move past these apparent gatekeepers and continue on our journey. Let's go! Head number one, testing our resolve to leave the ordinary world. The first head represents the guardians of the ordinary world, intent on keeping people from leaving. 
Its growling and barking warn you not to wander too far away from the village, your ordinary world, where the conventional rules of parenting and education will keep your family ensconced, along with everyone else, in the day-to-day minutiae of community life. What might that look like in our lives? Often, it's family and friends pointedly questioning our choice to not send our children to school. Maybe they're urging us not to embark on this crazy quest. Their tactics can range from head shakes and eye rolls when homeschooling comes up in conversation to outright arguments, insisting that we're making a huge mistake. These unofficial custodians of the established bounds of society believe they are acting in our best interests as they vigorously discourage us from entering the realm of unschooling. They want to protect us and our children. They are often people who care deeply about our family and feel a responsibility toward us. Their sheer confidence can be daunting. Not only that, in a perverse twist, their warnings are usually not of mysterious monsters lurking in the dark world of unschooling waiting to pounce on us, but that we will be creating monsters of our children. They are certain that if we take our children on this journey, they will become uneducated, unsocialized, out-of-control adults, failures who will never be allowed back into the village, forever shunned. We're pretty sure that this will not be our children's fate, so we might try to argue our way past these guardians. Maybe we're at a family get-together and the conversation goes something like this. Hey, I just heard your kids aren't going to school. Is that even legal here? Yes, it's legal. Does the school give you the curriculum, or do you have to buy one yourself? Um, no, they don't give us a curriculum. I don't think we're going to use one, actually. What? How will you know what to teach them? Well, I'm not going to sit down and teach them. They'll learn whatever they want to learn. Whatever they want to learn? Kids don't want to learn. Just look around. You practically have to bribe kids to pay attention at school nowadays. Well, yeah, but when you let them play, they learn lots. Maybe, but that's not important stuff. They're not going to learn how to read by playing. What about tests? They have to take some kind of standardized test to show the school, right? No. I mean, the kids can take them if we want them to, but I don't. Seriously? If you don't test them, how will you know they're even learning? I'm with them every day. I can see they're learning stuff. I couldn't imagine spending all day with my kids. I'd go crazy. What about math? You hate math, right? Well, they'll learn math when they're cooking and stuff. Cooking? They give you that are you serious look. But they'll go to high school, right? Maybe, if they want to. (laughs) If they want to. But they'll be missing out on so much fun with the other kids. And prom, high school, was the best. And they'll never get a good job without a high school diploma. They'll end up flipping burgers their whole life. Now, quick question. Whose voice did you hear in your head as you read that? Remember that for later. When we first took the kids out of school, I had numerous versions of that conversation. The other person was sure I wasn't accepting reality that I was living in some fantasy world where children love learning and jobs will fall into their laps. In turn, I would feel defensive and was sure they weren't seeing the real reality where children hate learning and only go to college because they have to. (laughs) 
We weren't going to change each other's minds in that conversation. We were only going to become more entrenched in our positions. The thing was, I didn't yet understand in schooling well enough to be able to answer their concerns any more completely. And I didn't yet have my own children's unschooling experiences to share as examples. So, of course, we were stuck. Around this time, I came across the pass the bean dip suggestion. Experienced unschoolers reminded me that I didn't have to get pulled into those frustrating conversations. Instead of feeling the need to defend myself and getting caught in the inevitable downward spiral, I could politely answer that first question or two and then change the subject. Pass the bean dip, please. What have you been up to lately? Or, I'm going to go check on the kids if you feel the need for a change of scenery. Even if the kids aren't there, there's always a plausible need for a bathroom break. It takes two people to continue a discussion, and you are free to leave any time. As I began to navigate beyond my instinctive defensiveness, I also came to realize that, although I was super excited about our choice to unschool, I didn't need to make this a line in the sand with friends and family. For all the wonderful things that I anticipated would come from this journey, most had yet to materialize. Although I was beginning to understand unschooling, my understanding was still mostly theoretical. It wasn't yet supported by my personal experience. So, rather than endlessly trying to defend myself, I could instead truthfully say, we're going to try this for now. It feels like a good fit for us. We'll see how it goes. As it turns out, these threshold guardians serve a useful purpose testing our resolve to undertake this journey. If we're going to give up as soon as someone questions us, we're in for a rough ride ahead. This won't be easy. It will take work. We are going against the grain. What their objections often do is help us realize how dependent we are on their approval. That takes some personal work to get through. Yet, once we realize that we don't need to convince anyone to, quote, let us embark on our journey, we find ourselves free to go. Wow! We feel like we've released a ton of weight that we didn't even realize we were carrying. We don't need their permission. Cerberus's first head can bark all at once, but it doesn't scare us anymore. We remember, yet again, that it is our choice to forge ahead. Head number two, testing our worthiness to enter the new world. The second head represents the guardians of the new world, but rather than trying to keep people from leaving, they seem to be trying to keep people from entering. See the difference? Now, what might that look like in our lives? As we attempt to cross the threshold into the world of unschooling, it's not unusual for us to believe that what we're doing is choosing a different education path. I know that's where I started. My kids went to school to learn, and now they aren't going to go to school anymore, so this unschooling thing is a replacement for that classroom learning. I knew our lives would be different. I mean, the kids weren't going to school but I wasn't yet aware that this path was going to permeate all corners of our lives. I didn't know anyone in person who was homeschooling, let alone unschooling, so I began to reach out and connect with experienced unschooling parents through the online community. 
I found most were welcoming and encouraging. There were times, though, when newer members posted questions and the answers almost felt like personal attacks, especially online where we can't read tone and body language. And sometimes those answers were interpreted as attempts to keep people out of the unschooling world. What do you mean I'm not an unschooler if I don't? Fill in the blank with whatever belief you might be feeling unjustly challenged to confront at the moment. That's crazy, you think. What does that have to do with unschooling anyway? When I began reading online about some of the things unschooling families were up to, especially in the area of parenting, I remember thinking, well, we won't be doing that. It's human nature to feel defensive when our beliefs are challenged, and just when we risk so much to change our conventional beliefs about school. Maybe we're still smarting from having to defend our unschooling choice to family and friends as we confronted Cerberus's first head. And now we feel like we are being rejected by those in the new community we so excitedly want to join. In those moments, I chose to notice my feelings and then release them. I was so curious. I hungrily absorbed all the unschooling information and discussions I came across. The information I was finding out about how humans learn aligned so closely with my personal experience and my observations of my own children's learning that I knew there was something to this unschooling thing and I was determined to learn more. Spoiler alert, in a few months I was doing many of those things I initially dismissed. They began to make sense as my understanding of unschooling grew. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. After seeing this kind of interaction, this push and pull of determination and defensiveness play out time and again over the years, I've come to see it as a pretty classic component of this stage. Eventually, the realization dawned on me that these threshold guardians were not enemies trying to keep us out. They were allies trying to help us learn. Experienced unschooling parents encourage us to look at situations from new perspectives that are more conducive to unschooling. But it can be very unpleasant to have someone contradict the beliefs and assumptions that we hold as truths in our lives, beliefs that we don't yet realize are connected to this journey. It can be hard personal work for us to shift from seeing them as attacking enemies to seeing them as allies providing us with useful information. I found it so valuable to develop the ability to use that initial defensive reaction as a clue to stop, breathe, and shift to an open and curious mindset. Remember our discovery in the last stage that the traits in our children that irk us are often great clues to where we have the most to learn? The same thing here. The more vehemently we resist an idea, the bigger the clue that there is some important learning for us buried there. If we are willing to dig deeper, there's probably a big jump in understanding around the corner. What we learn as we confront Cerberus' second head is not that all guardians are meant to be defeated. Some are really allies in disguise. There are many experienced unschooling parents who are happy to share solid information to help us on our journey. These challenging moments remind us that understanding unschooling takes real effort and will likely be uncomfortable at times. But the wonderful stories that these very guardians share about life in this new world remind us that this journey is worth it. 
we are getting stronger. Head number three, securing permission to homeschool. The third head represents the official guardians tasked with giving travelers permission to cross this particular threshold. Most countries around the world have compulsory education laws of some sort and government representatives that require us to follow these laws. They are one of the more easily recognizable threshold guardians, almost like border guards checking our papers. It can be tempting to approach these gatekeepers adversarially, but they too serve a purpose, to ensure we understand the legal implications of our choice to homeschool. Notice that I use the term homeschool. That's the typical term used by government education departments to describe students who don't attend school. Unschooling is a style of homeschooling, and there's no need to get that specific. In fact, with misconceptions about unschooling swirling around, using that term may hurt more than it helps. Take some time to research your region's homeschooling policies and determine what steps are required to legally homeschool your children. If the policies are fuzzy, or if there are reporting requirements you are unsure about, search out a local homeschooling or unschooling person or group. In my experience, they are happy to share how the policies play out in their unschooling lives. Remember, they are our allies. That said, some families choose to unschool under the radar. That is, they don't engage at all with their government about the education of their children. This is certainly a choice, yet the step of researching your particular legalities is still important. It allows you to make an informed decision, which includes understanding the risks and implications to yourself and your children. Don't bury your head in the sand, ignoring reality. Whatever your choice, fully understanding the situation makes it an empowering one. Whether you've chosen to complete the tasks set for you and submit your papers or to walk past the gate while they're looking the other way, congratulations. You've made it past this more official guardian, the third of Cerberus's heads. What an intense stage. And as we find our way around and through the various threshold guardians that appear on our path, maybe even making allies of some, the path on the other side of the threshold begins to come more clearly into focus. We catch longer glimpses of the wonderful unschooling world that beckons to us, and we step across the threshold. Stage 5. Embracing Beginner's Mind. Transitioning to a Learning Mindset. Here's how Joseph Campbell describes this stage. The hero, instead of conquering or conciliating the power of the threshold, is swallowed into the unknown and would appear to have died. My first thought was, what? Don't we now find ourselves in this new and mysterious world of unschooling, excited to be on our way? We've worked so hard to answer this unconventional call, discover our guides, and make our way past the three heads of Cerberus that stood at the threshold, and now, apparently, we appear to have died? What's up with that? Interestingly, our journey has another surprise in store for us. There is one last important step the hero must take before they enter a new world, and that's transitioning to a learning mindset, 
otherwise known as beginner's mind. Leaving the ordinary world behind. Right now, you probably believe that much of your existing knowledge about the ordinary world will be applicable, even helpful, on your journey. Spoiler alert, it won't. <laughs> in fact, it's more likely to get in your way. On this unschooling journey, you will question so much of what you think you already know. If you don't first diligently widen your perspective, you may find yourself clinging to your existing paradigms and feel the urge to defend them rather than being open to seeing the possibilities that this new world has to offer. You may have experienced some of those defensive feelings in the last stage. As we begin this stage, for all our excitement about entering this new world, we're also still fearful of letting go of the old one. We want the two worlds to mesh. We seek out compromises. But you still teach them to read, right? While I understand and remember this wish to keep one foot in both worlds, it takes both our feet to keep moving forward. The first step is finding the courage to lift up that second foot and leave the ordinary world behind once and for all. It is our metaphorical point of no return, the last stage of the departure phase of our journey. Being swallowed is a popular image in stories that symbolizes a transition. It describes the hero's figurative death in the ordinary world and their rebirth in the new one. Philosophically, it's about shedding our preconceptions, assumptions that made sense in the ordinary world, and embracing beginner's mind, open to learning about the new world. Campbell calls this stage the belly of the whale. It's an apt metaphor, and this whale comes in a thousand different shapes and sizes. Of course, there's the classical biblical story of Jonah and the whale. Jonah, unwilling to carry out a task that God had set for him, refuses the call and makes a run for it, determined to stay in his ordinary world. He attempts to escape by setting sail on a ship, but he is eventually tossed into the sea where he is swallowed by a whale. There, he reconsiders his actions and, after three days, is disgorged, reborn, committed to his new world of serving God. In The Matrix, Neo wakes up in his battery pod after taking the red pill. His escape from this womb closely mimics a human baby's birth. It's Neo's rebirth into his new world outside the Matrix. In Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the role of the whale is played by the Hogwarts Express. Harry leaves his ordinary world via King's Cross Station and the magical platform nine and three quarters. On the train, he gets his first taste of magic and realizes that he, like us at this point on our journey, knows little about the new world he's hurtling towards. But he disembarks excited and ready to learn. In The Hunger Games, a train also marks Katniss Everdeen's transition from her ordinary world District 12, to the new world of the capital. She arrives determined to learn all she can so that she can survive the trials of the Hunger Games arena. What might your whale be? Like me, you may find that your whale is your home. I found that we spent a lot of time at home as we transitioned away from the, our ordinary world. Home felt like a sanctuary to all of us. 
For me, it was a place where I was free from judging eyes at a time when I was most vulnerable to them. For my kids, turning 10, 8, and 5 that year, it was a place where they could dive into their play with abandon and make up for lost time. We still occasionally went out to visit, but I found I had less and less to contribute to conversations with friends and acquaintances. I wasn't interested in converting friends to unschooling in any way, and though I was happy to answer any questions they had, those tapered off quickly as a conversation soon turned to the typical challenges of school and their children's behavior. Those things were fading fast from my life, and I found that, with fewer and fewer things in common to connect over, we naturally connected less and less. I suppose that to our extended family and friends, we uh, did appear to have died, as Campbell describes. But really, my family and I were happily cocooning deep in the belly of the whale, our basement. It was set up as a big playroom for the kids. Couches with removable pillows meant blanket forts for days on end. The walk-in closet under the stairs wasn't Harry's bedroom, but it was filled with shelves, which in turn were filled with games and toys. There was a large kid-height table for crafts and lots of floor space for play. A TV with game consoles, a computer with internet access, an elaborate hamster city with cages, tunnels, and accessories. Lots of light. We spent months there, having a lot of fun. It was natural for us to withdraw from the ordinary world, and it may be right for you as well. This time in the belly gives you the space to play with the idea that you may know little about this new world you are choosing to enter. As part of your metaphorical rebirth, you are learning to embrace the idea that we are the equivalent of young children in this new world. But it can be hard to admit we don't know things. Most of us have probably grown up with the idea that, as adults, as parents, we are supposed to know all the answers, yet here we are, back to feeling the vulnerability of a child. To live with this uncertainty is challenging, definitely uncomfortable. But knowing that it's natural to withdraw from the ordinary world at this stage of our journey may help ease our discomfort. Embracing Beginner's Mind during this time, I watched the kids rediscover the joyful abandon of playing to their heart's content. I also had time to reconnect with them and to ponder how well the conventional wisdom about children and learning that I had absorbed over the years meshed with the increasingly beautiful scenes I was seeing play out in front of me. As the gap between the worlds widened even further, I eventually chose to pick up my other foot and take that last step. I realized I had so much to learn about this new world and that no matter my standing in my old world, I was a baby when it came to unschooling and I was smitten. And why is this image of rebirth so helpful to us on our journey? Because babies are the ultimate learners. Their drive to explore their world and learn how it works knows no bounds. Not only are they insatiably curious, they also aren't yet carrying the weight of conventional expectations. They look at the world with a beautiful sense of wonder. They live wholeheartedly, putting all their being into each moment, good and bad. And they aren't afraid to ask questions. Boy, do they ask a lot of questions. 
It's important at this stage to make clear, unbiased observations rather than jump to judgment based on our old ways of seeing things. We will feel freer. With this fresh perspective, we begin to feel comfortable asking questions again, even if only of ourselves. The root of the word question is quest, and we are on a quest to understand unschooling. And remember, our children are our guides, our shiny examples of how to do this, of how to re-engage our childlike curiosity and sense of wonder. It is important that, as we enter the unschooling world, we have a real sense of leaving our ordinary world behind and understand that we are the equivalent of newborns in this new world. Embracing beginner's mind is the ultimate learning mindset. Unschooling in the Wild Rules versus Principles As we consciously begin to approach our days with the fresh eyes and learning mindset of beginner's mind, we often encounter the unschooling idea of rules versus principles. Why do we focus on this distinction? Because when a rule is pulled out, everyone stops thinking and learning. Rules are quick answers to typical situations, which means that when we fall back on one, we consider neither the nuance of the particular moment nor the current motivations and goals of the individual people involved. Where rules scream stop, principles ask for a pause. Principles are a much more useful tool for learning about the real depth of a moment. They invite conversations, questions, analysis, openness, and creativity. These moments are great opportunities for our children to learn more about the world, about others, and about themselves. And it's in these moments that deeper understanding and trust take root. We begin to discover what works well for our family because the path forward can be as individual as the people involved and the circumstances of the moment. In my experience, one of the common first responses to hearing this idea of moving away from rules is along the lines of, that makes sense, but there are still some rules we need to keep, right? Like around safety? It sounds logical, doesn't it? But it's a clue the person still has one foot in the ordinary world. They are still holding on to the conventional wisdom that the only way to keep people safe is through rules. With both feet firmly planted in a beginner's mind perspective, the question becomes, how do I keep my kids safe without insisting they follow my rules? The thing with rules is that they put the onus on the child to follow them. And then we just judge the child, good or bad, depending on how well they follow those rules. But in this new world of unschooling, instead of putting the responsibility for avoiding those risks on my child by invoking a rule, I choose to take on that responsibility myself until they can safely take it on themselves. Let's look at the ubiquitous childhood rule, don't go on the road. If we were in a situation where there was a chance my young child might inadvertently run onto the road without thinking, I would stay with them. We'd chat about our environment, including the nearby road. If our play got close, I'd mention moving away a bit. If a ball rolled onto the road, I'd walk them through a safe way to retrieve it, a real reason to go on the road that the rule doesn't take into consideration. That is how children and adults learn, through experience in their environment. 
They don't want to get hurt. What children need and want is to learn how to evaluate the risk of being hurt in the different environments in which they may find themselves. So you point out the nearby road, the hot stove, the long staircase, but if you don't think they are yet able to make safe choices for themselves, don't hand them that responsibility by passing on a rule and then blaming them if they don't follow it. And if they are able to make safe choices, which we eventually see through their actions, they don't need the rule. Again, they don't want to get hurt. It's not fun. See how the rule gets in the way of their learning? If we share the rule, we stop there. We don't share the world of consideration and analysis that lies beneath it. And with unschooling, our goal isn't for our children to be able to recall a set of rules to follow, but to be able to think for themselves. That way, when they come across a situation for which there wasn't a rule, they don't flounder, they figure it out. Does that sound like it takes a lot of time to do? (laughs) It does. And about now, you may start to realize that by choosing to enter the world of unschooling, you now have this time available. Time to play with your children, time to chat with your children and hear what they're thinking, Time to observe your children in action and see them making choices. Our presence replaces the need for rules. Finding allies. As we cocoon in the belly of the whale, whatever that looks like for us, and embrace beginner's mind, the next question is often, how can I learn more about unschooling? Answering this question involves sorting through the potential sources of information. Unschooling has been growing in popularity, which means there are more and more people sharing their experience and insights online, and more and more local groups getting together for park days, field trips, and coffee chats. That means there's more choice, and that's wonderful. But it doesn't mean that all of them will be a good fit for you or for your children. It's like when my son Michael first wanted to try karate. We found a dojo relatively close, but before we went, I was careful to mention that if he didn't like it there, that might not mean that he doesn't like karate. It may just mean that he doesn't enjoy the atmosphere of that particular dojo, and if that happened, we could try another one. Interestingly, over the years, I've seen parents who don't quite connect with the dojo atmosphere go to Sensei and try to get him to change certain aspects so that it would be a better fit for them personally. However, the leader of any group activity has probably worked hard to cultivate the atmosphere they feel is best, the one they wanted to create. If it doesn't mesh well with you and your child, that doesn't mean it's wrong, only that it's wrong for you folks. Same goes for online unschooling groups. Check out a bunch of them and see how they feel to you. How do you like to learn? You will learn more quickly if the group fits your learning style. Pay attention to the communication style of the more experienced participants and be sure to check out the information they share. Is it making sense? Be careful though, don't equate meshing with a group to feeling comfortable. Unschooling is likely to challenge many of your core beliefs about learning and parenting. That will sometimes feel very uncomfortable. You're not looking for a pat on the back, you're looking for solid information. Understand that that may very well stretch your comfort zones. To that end, don't only focus on the flow of day-to-day conversation between members. 
Pay attention to the stories being shared by the more experienced members and their relationships with their children. Is that what you're striving for? It's not just about what to do today. The steps they are talking about will lead in the same direction. Is that the direction you want to be heading? By asking yourself these questions, what you're doing is building trust in the groups that you will choose as your go-to sources of information in this new unschooling world. And when you find a handful of groups that seem to mesh well with you, dive deep. Continue to read articles, books, online conversations. Read the responses to questions you hadn't even considered yet, to questions about children who are years older than yours or younger. Listen to podcasts and talks or watch videos, however you like to immerse yourself in information. Explore the ideas of unschooling in all sorts of circumstances, not just those applicable to your family today, because seeing how these principles are applied to many different situations will help you better understand them, which means as new-to-you situations come up over the years, you'll already have had lots of practice in seeing them through the lens of unschooling. You will learn so much more and learn it more quickly than if you just go to the group whenever you have a particular question or issue. And it all starts with embracing beginner's mind. This stage marks our final separation from the ordinary world and our rebirth in the world of unschooling. We are truly open to new ideas, ready to question everything, and face the trials of the next phase of our journey. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.